single one of each other. <laughs> I'm delighted to be joined by young superstar uh, Dara Campion. He's already laughing, and Tinder star, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Jokers to the right, clients to the left of me, and uh, I'm stuck in the middle of Brian Kelly. <laughs> it's nice to see smiles on people's faces, yeah. and uh, it's nice to think that uh, you've helped in any small way to put those smiles there. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the We Are Mead podcast. On this very special episode of the We Are Mead podcast, we want to make our listeners aware of a massive initiative taking place in New York at the minute to support the Irish community and diaspora in the city who have been affected by COVID-19. The initiative is called Slauncha 2020 and Damien Donoghue from our sister podcast, We Are Cavan, caught up with some, pe- some people involved in the initiative. First up, we have Katrina Clark, Founding committee member and Leitrim team sponsor, she tells how the idea came around. So I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Katrina Clark, um, who was one of the founding members, founding committee members of Slauncha 2020, um, which was uh, an initiative. I suppose, Katrina, we'll, we'll let you explain exactly where it came from. I, I, I was highlighted or it was highlighted to me over here. Um, about it, but I suppose you you know a little bit more about where where the idea came from. Where was the background in Slauncha 2020? Yeah, well, Slauncha 2020. Um, my husband and I are involved in the bar business with JP Clark's and McLean Avenue, and uh, on the 16th of March, we were just told we had to shut down that evening. So, being in being self-employed and being in the business, we realised very quickly that um, this was a New York-wide thing and an awful lot of people were out of work very quickly with very little uh, support financially or otherwise. And uh, as I'm also involved in the Ashing Irish Community Centre, which would be a welfare centre for the Irish out here in New York as well. And I think the one thing that um, struck us very quickly was that this was a big problem. It wasn't just about the bar business. It wasn't just about McLean Avenue or Katona or Queens. It was all over New York and the tri-state area. And an awful lot of people just lost their jobs with little or no assistance. So as a member of the Ashing Irish Community Centre, I came together with um, the New York Irish Centre, the Emerald Isle Immigration Centre, the United Irish Counties and the GAA, to form an umbrella organization called Slauncha 2020. Now, what was unique about this partnership was probably the first time that five major not-for-profit organizations came together to sort of harness their collective fundraising ability. And the reason we did this was because everybody was affected. So if the Ashram Center went to do a fundraiser, it would raise a certain amount of money, as would it for any of the organizations, but we'd all be competing against one another for the same reason. So by harnessing our collective, um, you know, I suppose our collective reach, it became much more effective. And within a few days, we had a website and a whole organization set up uh, with, with, with a very good structure to try and help the people who needed it the most. Like The organizations you mentioned there are... Are, are very very active in the local communities already but in, in lockdown then how did you manage to or in isolation how did you manage to come together yeah that, that, that that's funny um i suppose it would be the same for everybody but uh, i mean zoom really was our saving grace now i had never heard of zoom never mind used it before this 
but we had um, a meeting with the consulate. All the Irish centres had a meeting with the consulate one day, and that was my first time to log on to Zoom. And I was chatting to a couple of the other directors, and I said, look, I have an idea here. We'll get in contact after this. So I talked to them all over the phone, and um, also another uh, great man, Shane Humphreys, who's an attorney down in, 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 in Manhattan. And um, they, they were all on board with the idea. So I said, look, I'll set up a Zoom meeting, thinking I sounded like I knew what I was talking about, but I actually didn't. So I was practicing with the family on the Sunday. But somebody called me on Zoom, let me figure this out. So we, we actually just, that's how it came about. We had a Zoom meeting, and I will have to say, um, like for the first three weeks, Shane hadn't his picture on. So I think it was three weeks into it before I realized he had a beard and what he looked like. But the man had done so much behind the scenes, but that's just the nature of working together. But I think um, given the circumstances, and other people would say this, be because it happened the way that it did, really you had to rely on whatever tools were available to you. And it maybe took some of the, it, it took some of the, um, the hard work out of it because you just set a time for the meeting. Everybody logged in, logged off in an hour. If we were trying to do this and all tried to meet once a week to set it up, it would be still going on. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was phenomenally efficient the way you set it up. And then once, when you first launched the website, was there much of a response from applicants? Well, there was. And um, just maybe before we go into that, the one thing that I want to say about when we set up the website, that one of a lot of work went into planning how this was going to be done. Uh, in order to succeed, and this is what we did through Zoom, we had to define our mission, we had to identify the need, and we had to be very transparent about how the funds would be raised. Now, um, the one thing that was happening at the time was that people wanted to help, but there was no clear pathway as to how to do it. There were so many GoFundMes and fundraisers to help the COVID-19 victims, but there was very little oversight on any of them, and when people wanted to, don to donate money, they weren't really sure what was happening. So when we had defined our mission and identified the need, when we set up the steering committee, we set up um, sort of criteria and put in place verification procedures as well as guidelines for determining the awards. So when we had all that set up and the website went live, we were ready to take on the applicants or so we thought. Now we had, I have to say we were overwhelmed. The applica application started coming in at about 30 a day. So you can imagine in the first, um, you know, in the first couple of weeks, we had well over 200 applications. So this comes back to having to go back to our criteria and see how we disperse the funds, which was a difficult decision at the time because so many people were looking uh, for help. But as the funds came in, we were able to help more and more people. But um, the fact that it was all streamlined and people were able to apply just online probably made it easier in a way but it just took a little while for us to get the funds in and to start giving them out. But at this stage now, it's working a lot more efficiently. And, and, and the overall idea was to help the undocumented Irish, particularly in, in I suppose, in, in New York area. But who, who all applied? Like, what sort of people were applying? Yeah, here, here's the thing. I mean, um, yes, the undocumented would have been part of it, but the whole idea really was to help anybody um, who didn't have any other support. There were certainly undocumented who might have been working in cash paid jobs, but there were also people, there are also people here who um, might be here with a green card or might be residents, might be legal here, but they may also have been working in say cash paid jobs, be it construction or, you know, particularly the, the hospitality sector where you have bars uh, using bartenders and waitresses, they might be just doing one or two shifts and their main income will be on tips. So 
they weren't in the system either. So another aspect of that would have been, say, a peripheral to the hospitality in industry, like say musicians or bands or you know sound engineers who would have been setting up all around St. Patrick's Day waiting for probably the biggest week of the year and then suddenly these people were left with little or no income and the timing of it couldn't have been worse from that point of view because you're just coming out of January and February which is traditionally very quiet anyway and it's like pulling the plug on Christmas Eve in a way for the hospitality sector so in the beginning there were a cross-section of people particularly from construction and um, um, the hospitality sector but now it will be mainly the, the, those, the, the bartenders and waitresses. Right, and, and, and then so how did you determine, like, what sort of issues were they face, facing, like those people coming, was it, was it as bad as, you know, maybe yeah, not having there was, Yes, it was actually. Um, probably the two biggest issues would be rent and food security. I mean, if you're here on a fairly tenuous basis and then suddenly you have no income and you're dependent on a landlord who may or may not give you a break with the rent, or you just don't have any cash coming in to go and buy groceries. It was that basic. So we really had to look at the overall needs. And believe me, there was um, a great need out there. I mean, it's it's just, I, I, I think to some extent, maybe all of us were caught a bit on the hop because the economy had been so good for the last two to three years that everybody seemed to be working. It just seemed to be um everything was going smoothly and once it was party central i don't mean it like that but anybody who was able to work was working be it construction was booming the, the bars and restaurants were booming so suddenly that's taken away and um what we did realize that a lot of people were sort of living paycheck to paycheck which is fine when the money is coming in and you're getting uh, weekly cash in the cash economy that's all fine but after two quiet months of january and february where you're expecting to for this to not just continue, but to get better, and suddenly you realize you have very few resources. Probably the biggest um, worry, what we had to do at some point was just, um, you know, we had, we had to tier the applications, and probably the, the, the main tier would have been for families with young kids, and maybe both, one or both, probably both parents not working, you know, and that was, that was a big, big worry. So we would have been looking at them first of all, and then maybe secondly, people with, uh, medical or underlying issues and the third one probably would have been um more single people who might have been sharing rent accommodation so their expenses wouldn't have been as high as opposed to a family who had to or paying for full rent in a house so you had to basically structure the criteria of of help needed such was the volume of applicants that's it yeah and that's where you know to some extent uh we were fortunate in a way that we had the time to put some thought into it in the beginning, but it's only as the applications came in that we really had to streamline it. But the other thing that um, I'd just like to say here is that um, because, be, because we hit the ground running with this, we were very fortunate that um, the Irish government was very supportive and the consulate here in New York, because um, you know, wh when funds became available, we had a structure that they were able to work with us in um, supporting us with grant money for us, simply because we had the structure there as in who we were helping and how the funds were being dispersed. Otherwise, it would have been very difficult. We'd still be playing catch up. And, and the Irish government have contributed? Yes, they have. They actually gave us, um, they gave us, they, they gave us, um, or no, they gave us 100,000, 50,000 in the beginning and then another 50,000 um, a while after that. And we were set up with the, um, a Zoom meeting with Antonista Simon um, Coveney, which and he was very supportive of it as well. So, 
Um, that was very good. The other thing is that because we had this structure, they were they were great about um, informing other Irish centres in the States about what we had, and they put us in touch with um, other centres. And Chicago, the, the model we had could have been duplicated, so Chicago did something similar based on their own needs. So they were very supportive of that, for sure. Very good. Then, like, what was the response to the fundraising drive? What, what, what way did it well, get it so far? We, we, we were very lucky. Um, the way we structured it was because, and, and, and this is probably particular, you know, this is probably um, uh, true to any fundraising at home, but you know, as, as, as not-for-profits in, in our local area, any fundraising we do would usually be from the local businesses, which would mainly be the bars and the restaurants and construction companies. But because they were all out of work, it was the one thing that we couldn't do and didn't want to do was to target anybody who had been so good to us all along. We wanted to help their workers. So we set it up in such a way that we'd sort of aim for civic and social organizations that maybe had a, a benevolent fund for a rainy day, say the United Irish Counties, all the county associations here would have some sort of benevolent fund. We have a group called the Tara Circle who are very good in coming forward. We have so many organizations like that, you know, committees, the Ancient Order of Hibernians, there, there's quite a few of them. And also um, we did have, when the GA came on board, all of their clubs stepped in straight away to help out. And one thing I do want to say is that the five founding organizations all did contribute to the, the seed money in the beginning. They all contributed their own funds to us, so we would have something to give out. And um, in the beginning, I actually thought, you know, if we raised 100,000, 150,000, that it would have been a fantastic achievement. And you know what? The organizations we asked for donations were great. But what we found was the response from the community was phenomenal. And to date, we've raised um, close to 450,000. And a lot of that is, to, is, is because of the response we've gotten from the community. And also, not just here, but also at home. Yeah, I suppose it's it's important that at home here in Ireland, we, we a lot of the time would go to New York and other areas to fundraise for our GA work back home. So I suppose it's it's a good opportunity for the GA in Ireland to contribute back to New York. Well, without a doubt. And um, first of all, when we started uh, here with the GA in New York, that they were supposed to be playing Galway back in May. And that didn't happen. So the New York players got together, the senior panel, and they did a thousand kilometers over the, you know, over a weekend, which 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 was a phenomenal um, fundraiser. And also, I will have to say, I mean, hats off to Terry Highland, the manager of the Leitrim team and the whole Leitrim County board, including the treasurer Martin McCartan, Declan Bowen. Um, uh, they really got behind this, and not only were they supportive of it, but they set up their own initiative at home whereby with the players and supporters, they had a Leitrim day and they got everybody out on the 16th of May to do um, a fundraiser, be it, you know, walk 5K, 10K cycle. And I mean, I saw it on Facebook and what they did was remarkable, but they raised over 20,000 euros for both Slauncher 2020 and for Theatre House. So we would have gotten um, well over $10,000 from the people of Leitrim and also the Leitrim County Board donated separately, they donated $2,000 and so have the, the kind of council and I want to thank them and I know Galway are donating, Cavan have donated and I know other county council, or county boards will. So just 
you know, they talk about the coronavirus having no, not knowing any boundaries, but I would say the exact same with people's goodwill and the help because, you know, be they in Leitrim or Florida or Australia, that we've seen help coming from all over the place. And it's just humbling because New York really has never been in a position to be asking for help like this or needing it in such an obvious way. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal amount of money raised. It shows the, the collective and the goodwill is there. But how many people has Slauncha helped so far? Um, what I would say is that uh, we've had uh, well over, I probably now, these are just figures off the top of my head, but um, from our last meeting last week, but uh, we had over 440 applications and we have issued over um, 400 checks for assistance from this Slaunchy account. And from that, over 650 people have benefited to date and over 100 of them would have been children. And also to say that as part of our website, if anybody checks out www.slauncher.org, um, we've also a section for jobs and both Mike Riley from the United Irish Counties and um, Shane Humphreys, who, who are both on the committee, they are in property management down in Manhattan and any jobs that have become available that even during the whole crisis, they have advertised them and people have applied for jobs and we've placed up to 20 people in jobs as a result and a lot of those are going to be long term. So not only does it take them out of the fund, it gives them something to work towards. Give a man, give a, man a fish and lead for a day. Well, that's it, that's it. So, you know, I would just recommend that anybody just check out the website to see what we were doing and, um, and what it's all about. And it's still, so you're still fundraising currently, as you said, the website slauncher2020.org. Um, but you, you still are fundraising and, and, and making yourselves available for applicants. We are. And this will probably go on for the month of June because um, we weren't expecting to open up here until towards the end of June, maybe the 23rd. But we just got word there at the weekend that um, bars and restaurants can open for outdoor seating um, as of today. So it's going to be a busy day today. But because it's only outdoor seating, it's very limited in, in the number of staff that can come back because your, your capacity is reduced. And also there are bars and restaurants that aren't going to open down in Manhattan and all over the place. There are places that won't open again. You know, they could have been paying high rent. If the tourists, if the shows aren't going on in Manhattan, they're not going to have the volume to pay rent in prime locations. So, you know, some people may not open again there's no guarantee that's the thing we don't know but what we want to have is just to do what we can for the people who are just insecure both financially and in other ways just um in the short term katrina it's a it's an absolutely wonderful initiative it's it's amazing sometimes in adversity it's a, it's the opportunity to bring out strong characters and, and yourselves and all over in New York have done wonderful work there. So again, just to remind people to get on, they can still donate as little or as much as you can afford, slauncher2020.org. Trina, thanks for me there for taking the time to talk to you. Oh, Damien, thank you. And uh, just thanks to everybody at home. It's just been so supportive. Just can't say that enough. Thank you. So next, Damien caught up with current Leitrim Senior Manager, Terry Highland, who is back in the initiative and he urges everyone to help where they can, insisting that the GEA community in Ireland are always supported by New York when the shoe is on the other foot. They also discuss the return to play guidelines for both club and county. Have a listen. Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined by Leitrim County Senior Football Manager Terry Highland. Um, as Terry, we'll start off here because we're, we're looking to uh, garner a wee bit of support for uh, a project that you brought my attention to, slauncher2020.org. It's basically trying to help 
the mostly undocumented Irish over in New York um, who are struggling with COVID-19. How did you get involved in it, Terry? Well, I kind of got involved in it. Look, at least from senior footballers and, you know, the 94 team were doing a fundraiser and uh, we're probably looking for a, a local charity to go along with. We did it. We used Pieta House and we used uh, another local charity, which is very similar to Pieta House as well. So we looked at the Slaunch to Slaunch thing was coming up. And to be fair, uh, Katharina Clark in uh, New York is chairperson of it and they're also sponsored of the Leeds from uh, senior team as well. So uh, it kind of was through that, through that connection. Plus, you know, uh, a lot of Irish people have an affinity with the Irish people in America. And I felt that rather than being a one-way take, as it has been for a large number of years, with people taking money out of New York, I thought it was time that maybe the Irish people put something back into it. I suppose we, we've been on a trip together over to New York and we've seen firsthand the hospitality of, of the diaspora over there and their love for, for the GEA. It's, uh, it's particularly maybe an opportunity for, for, for people like us who have experienced that hospitality to give something back and that's something we really should take advantage of. Well, that's true, you know what I mean? And, you know, they have a great saying out that there's no strength without unity. And, you know, in the end of the day, we're all Irish people and we should be united no matter where we are in the world. And, you know, as, as you rightly say, it's an opportunity to give it back because I am, and I have been in New York, that mind them, but the hospitality of the people over there and the love to see people going over and they treat them very, very well. And, you know, it's probably unprecedented, you know, what has happened in the world, certainly in the last 100 years with this pandemic. And it's unprecedented to see... New York above all parts of the world to see it on his knees and to see that there's so many Irish people who uh, are on their knees with, with, with the rest of the people in New York and suffering at the moment and you know we, we in Ireland have been quite lucky in that we've had the COVID payments and we've had uh, you know subsidies with people to keep them out of work and all like that and the government has done a lot of good work in that in that sense and that you know nobody has been left on the footpath as should we say was Unfortunately for the Irish in New York and the other Irish cities that are in Boston as well and San Francisco, Chicago and all places, you know, if they are, haven't got uh, the green card and they're not there technically, officially, you know, they'll be left out to dry. Yeah, and it, it is great to see like, such a huge amount of money raised to this point, 450,000. But that could, that could very easily be only a small amount when, when you look at the number of people affected by it. So it's important to keep the fundraising going. That's true. Uh, you know, I, I do believe in New York that we're looking after somewhere in the, in, in the region of 400 to 500 people per week. You know, they're dependent on that for food, they're dependent on it for rent, they're dependent on it for the upkeep of the families there until they get back to work. Because, again, as we all know, the Irish people are traditionally allied to uh, working in bars and working in the food trade and working in construction. And we all know they're the, one of the first places that were closed down. So they were caught flat footed. And, uh, you know, they're doing tremendous work out there, headed up, as I said, by. Uh, Katrina and, and, and there is just more than just all in it. You have the New York GA, the Irish Centre New York, the United Irish Counties, the Ashton Centre. No, it's not just one particular group. It's a gathering of the groups out there who are helping the Rome. Yeah, it's great to see them all coming together. And then in Ireland here, Leitrim County Board took it upon themselves, uh, along with yourself, to get on to other county boards in Ireland, the GPA and, and, and other organisations. What has the response been like there? Yeah, well, again, Leitrim, as I've always said, was unique and been the smallest county. Probably, unfortunately, we one of the biggest emigrations. A lot of emigrants have gone to New York or come from Leitrim, so they have a big connection with a small county and a small population base. But yes, we, 
we've we got to lead some county board and put our hand out and asked all the county boards in Ireland and the GP and then those associated with, with the people in America to possibly give a donation of 2,000 to go to forward or whatever they could afford. And look, I know when county boards are not meeting and everybody's doing everything remotely as we are doing it now and they're not been at meetings, but the response has been slow, I felt, compared to what it should have been when I consider all the big counties who have gone out there and raised large amount of money, and the GP in particular have taken millions out of New York and other American cities. I felt that, you know, do we only want to know the diaspora when we want to know them when we're looking for something, or do we, should we know a little bit more about them when we should be giving them something back? Yeah, it, so just even on a time frame, you know, I, I, I can understand maybe their excuse of, of not getting fully involved, but it sounds to me like you're, you're disappointed there hasn't been a better response from people who have been very quick to, to take the hand off it when it's given, but not willing to reciprocate. Yes, look, I, I, you know, and I know that you sent it to a county board chairman and he has to speak to his treasurer and his secretary and you have the layers to go through, but you know what I mean, it wasn't massive amounts of money. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it probably wouldn't cover one senior training session, uh, maybe for the big counties in one day, never mind one week. And, and you know, I felt from that point of view is, and the fact that all these people out there who support all these counties, it was an opportunity for them to give something back. And maybe just, maybe this may be a little prod of those. It might be just a little reminder of how, how important those people are to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. Hopefully, we we see the response. And, and just to let people know again, if if they want to make donations as individuals, they can go on to slanch at twenty twenty dot org, um, to to make a donation, little or or, or big. Yes, I'm correct, and it doesn't have to go through the Party Board. The important part is that people see the benefit of where it is. As you said, they know where to send the money to, and they get it done. Because at the end of the day, until it's easy to say yes. But it's never yes until you put your hand in your pocket. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, moving on, just on to more current affairs. I suppose there's there's light at the end of the tunnel, or as I was saying to somebody, there's floodlights at the end of the tunnel now. When we uh, look like there's there's training and games coming back. Um, have you had a chance to look at the timeline as as an inter county manager? Can you see the problems that that this may come um, down the line towards the end of September, where you may have Club players still preparing for championship, quarterfinal, semi-final, final, and being allowed to train then with, with the county team at that point. Yeah, well, you know, we've been talking, the government's been talking about roadmaps, and I suppose this is a GAA roadmap, but unfortunately it's a roadmap without too many signs on it. It tells us what we can do possibly at certain dates and when we can do it. But until we get a fixtures list, we probably really don't know. And then when... The county boards, as individual county boards, that to be Leeds from, that to be Camp and that to be Monan, until they look at their club fixtures list, and then county management can probably say, well, yes, we can do X, Y, and Z. But until we have all that information, we're probably still hamstrung. And um, it would look from, you know, anecdotally talking to different counties that they're going to go ahead and play their championships. And, you know, championship finals are probably not going to fall in until early October, as per usual, which means that you county share managers are going to have limited access to a percentage of the players and normally the teams who make county finals are the stronger teams who put the biggest representation onto county panels so you know a team like Leitrim or a squad like Leitrim could be short maybe a third of the players if intermediate and senior finals are playing possibly then with maybe another two or three fellas who guys have picked up injuries possibly during the campaign which means we could be without 50% of our players come 
mid-October going into competition. So, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very hard. I suppose it's a level playing field for everybody in one sense. The bigger counties will probably be fit to do it differently because they can afford to do it. As we know, they're not putting any insurance in place and then technically not going back to train until mid-September, which is only a four-week window to competition. And yet in that four-week window, you could be missing and from 33 to 50% of your squad up to right up to a week or maybe 10 days before competition is starting. So um, it's a roadmap, but there's an awful lot of detail to be filled in it yet. It, it, it's, it's a very interesting one because like, potentially there's going to be, in this theory or in this roadmap, there's going to be players playing a county final on October 11th that are going out a week later and playing the first inter-county game of the year on October 17th or 18th. Do you see a, a, a problem with that? Well, it's going to be a problem in the sense that county managers are used to getting along with the players. To be fair, you run your national league, they go back to the clubs and then they come back to you. And you always got a minimum of two weeks, which is a help before your games. You know, And again, it depends on counties are going to fix the finals. We may still get that minimum two weeks. But it depends what competitions we're still talking about. Because you must remember, every competition is still up on the board from minor under 20, end of National League and Championship in whatever format they decide to play it in. And I know the time that running on into uh, 2021 with it. But again, that's going to be a massive stretch in the resources of county boards and counties to uh, financially back roll that, keep that going, that length of time and the resources of players. So it will fall back, of course, that the bigger squads and the stronger counties will always have the advantage. When you bring up the finances of it all there, we've seen how it's nearly becoming a a multiple each year of of what it takes to run an inter-county senior team. But with the lack of resources, the lack of income that has been so far through the COVID-19, do you think we'll see counties actually financially struggle with, with the load of, of, of maybe payment that has to come? I think they will because, you know, in the end of the day, it's not a case of for the last three months that uh, income has slowed down for county boards, it has stopped. There's nothing happened. And the traditional sponsors who would have looked after them have had, you know, most of them have three weeks without work or some minimum work and some of them have been enough to be going okay. But who do you tap for this money? They'll run after club championships and they'll get a certain income stream from that. But, you know, their sponsors are the really ones that keep them going. You know, most of them have, uh, Cameron would say, have club breath. They lead to have a, an annual ticket fundraiser. Every county has something that they run annually is the big, the biggie for them coming in. And if they go straight back into competition, they haven't had time to get those funds in place. Okay, they might be, if they get a successful run, they might be able to bring money back on the back of it. But it's how, again, all the structures are going out the window. All the traditional structures are going out the window. And they will struggle because county boards would have had bank repayments. Okay, they have been stalled. But then the bank will suddenly say, look, hey guys, we give you six months of monitorium, three months here. Now you have to start paying again. So they need income stream to run their business because county boards are businesses now. Most of them turn over in excess of a million and some of them are multiples of that. So... They need to get turning money somewhere fast. They need to get money from somebody. And I know uh, the GA would have been tapping on to the government for funds and stuff like that. And I think it's very important that government looks at all county boards and looks at the GA in general and see even the clubs and see, you know, the amount of work that's put in to keep 
people physically fit, but both mentally fit as well, because through the facilities that the fundraise for, I know the government give them some funding, but they fundraise, you know what I mean, we have probably a billion euros worth of stock in the G of buildings and pitches and walking areas and stuff that have been developed by the communities. And I think that the need to get funded, to get them over the hump, to get them to keep that going, because there are 70 year olds, 80 year olds, six year olds, 10 year olds out walking and pitches and training and doing whatever they do in the community. And it's the GEA that keeps them going. So I think we need to look at it from a much broader point of view. I think we need to look outside the GEA. And I think the wider community and the government needs to support that is because it was only from the mental health of people and getting them back out and getting them into fresh air. I think there's an awful lot contributed from the GEA more than games. Yeah, it, it, it's probably a difficult one to put a figure on the financial advantage the GEA has given the, the country through the, the, the physical and, as you said, the mental health aspects that, that, that continue to do. And there could be county boards go to the wall, which at, at that point may be, you know, loss of jobs, downgrading of facilities, all having a huge impact. Yeah, well, it's going to be slow. It's going to take a year to recover. So in the interim, they're going to need support. It's a case of, I don't think it'll be massive loss of jobs. I think because we're such a large voluntary organisation, I don't think that's going to be the issue. Okay, there may be some people may be put in short term, there may be wages cut for a period as there has been at the moment. I don't think anybody's been let go in the GA, and I don't think that will, be the, will happen that easily. But I do think they do need an injection because... In the end of the day, it does cost money to prepare teams. It does cost money to play in competition. If it's only to hire the coach, if it's only to, to uh, give food to guys when they're finishing all of like that, that is a cost factor. And you must remember the people who provide those services need to get paid. So we, it, 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 it all comes around in a circle. So we have to fulfill the circle. I suppose just finally, Terry, bringing it to the actual game itself, then if, if we're still in a period of social distancing, do you think that there, there's a need for rule change within the game or should it just be let go as it is? Well, I think uh, you probably don't have to change the rules. And again, go back to the two-metre thing. Don't get me wrong. I think the two-metre rule is in. I don't think there'll be any football. I'll be straight about it. I think if it comes back to one metre, possibly yes, because we don't have the facilities to uh, look after people at a two-metre road. We don't have big enough dressing rooms. And where do we do with physios? What do we do with medical people? Do we have to gown them up? to look at guys, you know what I mean? There's an awful lot more into playing football than just come and tugged out, which the regulation says you must do. Go out and warm up and play in the game again back in the car. There's an awful lot of other stuff. And even at club level, it's the same because they all have employed medical people on the recommendation and the backing of the GEA to prevent injuries and to make sure there's no serious injuries and, and, and look after life and limb. So there's more to playing football than just turning up and blowing the whistle. So, you know... Referees will probably, when you come to the rules and you talk about the rules, probably they'll have to look closely at maybe tacking the amount of time it's put in on tackle. So, whether they put a, if it's a three or four second thing that you're allowed to run people and then if the blow will give the advantage to the person with the ball or what, I don't know. You know, we've had to introduce temporary rules in normal life to get through this. We may have to do the same in the GA. May do. Well, Terry, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And, and again, just to remind people to head on to the website, slauncher2020.org, to donate to that wonderful organisation. Finally, Damien caught up with Uchtaron Tuffa, GA president-in-waiting, Larry McCarthy, all the way from New Jersey. 
So I'm delighted to be joined now by Larry McCarthy online from New York. Thanks a million for, for joining me, Larry. It's, it's great to have you. Thank you very much, Damien. Delighted to be here this morning with you. Um, it's a lovely June day um, here in New York, or sorry, in New Jersey, where I live. Um, looking out on the sun shining at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, your time, of course, but happy to, to chat with you. Yeah, I suppose what, what we're here really to do is, is, is highlight and, and maybe bring people's attention to Slauncha 2020, um, a website and, and a fundraising effort that was set up to try and help out the Irish community in, in the tri-state area of New York during difficult times. A lot of undocumented Irish that maybe are lacking assistance at this time. Yeah, it was. In fairness, it was Seamus Clark, who you, you will all recognise as the sponsor of, of the Leitrim football team at home. Um, who brought a gang of us together maybe the day after there was a lockdown here. Um, and we gathered in the, in the parking lot of, of Rory Dolan's bar up in McLean Avenue, all socially distant. And he said, look, we've got to help people out here. So there was all sorts of public representatives there, community representatives, and the New York GA were seriously involved. John Henchy as chairperson um, in particular. So it, it took off from there and, and they decided, look, we, we've got to... Uh, build a fund here that can help out the people who um, are going to be stressed in terms of accommodation and stressed in terms of food in some cases. And in some cases, families would have been in those circumstances. So they said about, you know, raising funds and in fairness, them raise about, I think, but no, I, I know about 450,000 at this stage. Um, 100,000 of it came from the Irish government who stepped in quite quickly through the concert here in New York. The New York GEA itself raised about 100,000 with the help of you know, the clubs, with the help of individuals, with the help of the Leitrim County Board. And it has helped out greatly um, for, a, for an awful lot of people. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's phenomenal. And I suppose we, we always look at, at New York and, and particularly, and we've seen counties go over to New York and, and run fundraising events. It's now an opportunity for the people of Ireland to give something back to, to the Irish diaspora over there. Yeah, it is. It's very much that opportunity at this stage at a, at a time of, of critical need, given that we're obviously and have been for the last six weeks or so the global epicentre of this awful pandemic that's, that's hitting us, you know. But you're right. I mean, people started coming to America looking for money for the GA in 1888. So it's not a new phenomenon with the American invasion. But it's right. You know, the, the, the counties that have been coming over in the last couple of years, it's perhaps an opportunity now for them to put their hands in their pocket and send something back to the undocumented who are here, who've been, you know, impacted by, seriously by, by this whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and maybe other organisations as well um, might, be, might be able to put their hands in their pocket because they would have taken money out of New York over the last number of years. It's, it's funny, in discussing what launch is about, two things come up. The first being that we all over here in Ireland know somebody who's undocumented in, in New York. So they are directly affected by lockdown of no construction work and no maybe hospitality industry going at the minute. And, and the other point being, anybody who's involved in the GEA club here in, in Ireland when there's a group of my own club in, in Cavan's Drumalee, you get to a county final and a group of 10 or 12 people from New York that would be affiliated with Drumalee come together and send a few pound over for county final. So we, we've all been receivers of donation from the other end. It's, it's, it's great to get the opportunity maybe to give something back. Yeah, you're dead right there. I mean, not only the counties, but clubs and, you know, the... the supporters of various clubs i mean my own club in bishopstown for instance um i contribute you know a little bit to them on a, on a frequent basis or at least i have to contribute to them um 
But I mean, you're dead right. I mean, it, there is money consistently coming in. It's not just at the top level, shall we say. Um, the clubs get support and, and even individuals. And you're, you're right in terms of, you know, this is sort of um, turning that, that around a little bit. Um, but I mean, the, 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 the support in particular we've got from Leitrim um, has been, been phenomenal. And obviously all the Connacht counties know us very, very well in terms of they've been coming here now for 20 years, is it 20 years, just about 20 years on a rotation basis. So we had a very, very strong connections with each of, of, of those counties on a, on a club level, or sorry, on a county level, on an individual level and on a, county, on a club level as well. I suppose from a, a New York GEA point of view, it's a very different kind of scene at the minute over there. You'd usually be expecting the J1 students coming over now to play a bit of football for the summer. Well, Damien, it's today is what this week. This Sunday is the second Sunday in June, um, and I've always said for the last number of years that the first and second Sundays of June, you know, um, they're like the swallows coming back to Capistrano. The J1ers arrive with their bags in Gaelic Park for the first two weeks. All right, you can see them coming off the plane, and some of them will have made connections prior to it. Some of us are just in, in pure innocence are showing up in Gaelic Park looking for to stay with. You know, and depending on the summer, you'll have a, you know a couple of hundred of them floating around the place, and then ultimately into the Irish neighbourhoods. Um, and they all get taken care of, and they all get sort of hooked up at some level um, in terms of getting a job or getting a place to stay. But yeah, it's a, there is no Gaelic Park at the moment, so that the swallows haven't come back to Capistrano this summer. Um, so it's it's a decidedly different scenario. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll, depending on the um, local health authorities here in the New York State, we'll be up and running perhaps with playing, playing games rather like you will be at home. Okay, so, so there could be games back in, in, in Gaelic Park within a, a month or so? Or? I, I wouldn't say a month or so now. I mean, I, I, would be, I would expect that we will have a championship here by the end of the summer. Um, you don't know the timelines because New York State has been divided up into different regions um, in terms of their ability to come back and there are certain criteria. Um, upstate New York has done better in terms of meeting those criteria. The city hasn't, not yet. Um, but having said that, now for instance, Westchester County, which is just outside the city of New York, is beginning to open up more today and tomorrow. Um, and that famous pub called Ned Devines is actually opening tonight. Um, but with outdoor catering and outdoor um, outdoor service only, we can't go into Neds. Um, so uh, the phrase I came up with when I made the speech at Congress, see you all in Neds. Well, we'll see some of you in Neds tonight anyway. <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> from Absolutely from a distance. Sorry, let me rephrase that. We, sh we won't see you in Neds. We'll see you outside Neds. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's great to see the lockdown be, being reduced, and and it's it's great to see. I suppose New York is kind of a it's an Irish hub from from home for a lot of people. So many Irish communities spread all across New York State. But it it's funny having been to New York a number of times myself, just to try to quantify the role that the GA has played. Because what I found when I was ever up in Gaelic Park was that they, there's there's so much even more interest in the GA with the with the communities abroad, with, with, with New York, or Irish people in New York, they nearly become, to, to borrow a phrase, more Irish than the Irish themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it's, it's the sheer fact that you're away and you're not walking down the road and going into the field or going to the club and stuff like that. You really have to make a serious effort to get to a place like Gaelic Park or, or Gaelic Park in Chicago or Canton and Boston, for instance. 
Um, and so perhaps the intensity of the interest is greater, um, mm. particularly when you're around the place and particularly then recognizing that you're in a culture which is not dominated by the GEA. You know, the, 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 the G is a very, very small part of American culture, albeit it's a huge part of Irish culture here in the U.S. Um, but the intensity of the interest then is magnified, I would argue, you know. And so we, we tend to know and be in touch with, with home as mo uh, more, perhaps, um, than people at home in terms of following the sport and how important, how important it is to us as part and part of our culture. And prior to the Internet, now some of your... <laughs> Some of your listeners might remember that era, um, but I mean, Sundays in Gaelic Park were always great times during the 70s and 80s, but Monday nights were equally as, as important in terms of catching up with the GEA, um, because what happened on Monday evenings was the papers came over. So the, the Monday morning papers with all the results came over, and then the local papers, the regional papers from the previous week would arrive in as well. So there'd be gatherings and bars all over the Irish community and guys sitting down reading the papers, um, following, the, reading the match reports and catching up with stuff, not just at the national level, but at the local level as well. Um, and so, you know, th there wasn't a match played or a football kicked or a, a ball pucked in Ireland that people didn't know about at their local club level that you referred to already in terms of, you know, sending home the couple of pounds for Drummer League going into the county final. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, I suppose it is that long in that while they, they maybe go for, for work reasons or for that they want to experience a different culture for whatever reasons, they still have that that connection back to their home community and will always have it regardless of where they go in the world they're either a cabin man or a cork man living in somewhere else <laughs> you are yeah you 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 never lose you know the connection with home and and you know it will differentiate you when you're in in conversations i mean the inevitable irish question is where are you from um you know um and and, and that's <laughs> Um, is your connection to home and, and, and your interest in home. And it, it, it's a huge part of our culture. And I'm, I'm not so sure it's, a, it's, it's as much a part of other people, nations' culture, but certainly the, the, the sort of the structure of the GEA and the connection back to the club and back to the team that represents your county is a huge part of Irish culture. Mm, it definitely is. And, and, and it's not getting lost no matter where we go in the world. Come here, just then to remind everybody again, get on to slaunchit2020.org. Wonderful organization helping the, uh, the Irish community in New York tr during COVID-19. Slaunch to, to, to 2020org and we greatly appreciate all the support that we're getting um, and hopefully continue. Now, having said that, we hope this thing disappears. And I mean that in the best sense of the word, um, because hopefully the, the New York City will open up again um, pretty quickly so that we that there won't be a need for slime to slime to, obviously. And we, we hope, obviously, on the greater scale that the, this awful pandemic disappears. But, um, yeah, we, we, we would, we, we, we're very, very grateful for the support we've got. We, we'd love to see some more support so that we continue to give certainty of, of of um, accommodation and certainty of food to, to a number of families who are still impacted by COVID. Larry, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. No problem, Damien. You're more than welcome. Thank you.